Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of In Our 1990s, the podcast where we're ranking all of the alternative records of the 90s from uh, hell or high water or temporary colds. And even if I haven't uh, posted the last episode we recorded yet, sorry about that, I, I'll that'll be up before this goes up. I have no handling of these situations, I just uh, assume it will be done at some point. It'll be done. I've been tired. It's okay. It's literally everyone in the world is tired. Yeah, ti- okay. tired is a permanent state right now. Hey, I'm your host Natalie. I didn't say that, and uh, you're my co-host Adrian. Indeed, I am. Yeah, and we're tired, and we're always tired, and fuck everything. I'm so tired, tired of playing the game. It's it's been a year since the unpleasantness started and it's no end in sight so uh you know no depression all you can do is yeah yeah there you go all you can do is talk about music and uh this week we're gonna be talking about um two more albums and before we do that i wanted to give a quick note uh somehow we have accessed a nexus of getting albums put out on vinyl uh, so if you are looking for any of the, many of the albums that have been featured on this show, I can give you updates that, uh, None Such by XTC, which was previously released on vinyl, but exceedingly expensive to try to find an original pressing copy or just an original copy at all. Uh, it's back out and it's very good. You should get that. And also Uncle Tupelo, No Depression is, uh, is on vinyl and I was very surprised. <laughs> It shouldn't be. I talked about how important that album was. But I just like that we are latching on these albums that don't have into current pressing and then they suddenly get one. I think 90s nostalgia is finally starting to hit in a big way. Yeah. Like 80s nostalgia kind of went on longer than it should have. And now now we're getting 90s nostalgia. And so, hey, any day now our ship will, I'll, uh, our ship will come in. My tongue is swollen tonight, too. I don't know what deal with that is but sounds like you might have a cold for actual real yeah i don't know anyway so I, it'll be hard for me to talk but hey first album this week we're going to talk about is uh, am by wilco from 1995 so mm-hmm. take that one away all right so in to put this in modern terms but less full of drugs wilco is the descendant of uncle tupelo when uncle tupelo split And the amusing part to me while comparing those bands is that when the Libertines split, uh, the bands split off into Baby Shambles and Dirty Pretty Things. And when both of those bands started releasing albums at the same time, and there was a competitiveness, like, which one's going to be better? It was Dirty Pretty Things. Uh, Anyway, when this album came out, a a mere uh, couple of months after Uncle Tupelo broke up, uh, there was an increased pressure to see if Jeff Tweedy's Wilco would perform a better album than Son Volt, the band formed by the former tu- Uncle Duplo singer, singer Jay Farrar. So basically we get Wilco. And Wilco keeps in that Uncle Tupelo line of being somewhat alt-country, but even now, this one, this album is definitively de- classified as alt-country, but that rock element is starting to creep in. There is so much Tom Petty in this album, it is just almost disgraceful at times. But... I'm glad you pulled the Tom Petty um, touchstone there, because 
I I could only think of Cracker. That's fair. Not Uncle Cracker, obviously, but yeah. Cracker. Um. Yeah, no, there, it's 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 throughout this out al- this album. Uh, Should have been in love is. I wait. That's not it. Uh, that's not. The, hold on. Sorry. Correction. Shouldn't be ashamed is just uh, don't back down. Wow, I did not get that out of that song at all. It's very, it's not direct one-to-one, like they couldn't be sued for it, but there is a a tonal feel for that song that is so Tom Petty, and that kind of colored the rest of the album for me. I hadn't listened to this in a long time. Uh, but yeah, this is pretty middle-of-the-road alt-country, which is a little sad because I think that Uncle Tupelo album is much better because it was just pushing more, but maybe Jay Farrar was doing that, and I think Jeff Tweedy's songwriting ability in in a alt country form is not as great and it's definitely apparent when he tries to sing a slow song in which you want to gouge your ears out and it's not just slow songs though like i thought it was slow songs but shouldn't be ashamed i but he sounds like someone doing a john mellencamp impression yeah and that's not good don't do that yeah. Um, and that's not a slow, soft song. Like on the Uncle Tupelo record, it was like when they tried to have the sort of like front porch acoustic jam feel, that was when his voice just went to shit. And he's it's better here. Like his shit his shit singing is better, but I don't know what he's doing because he doesn't sing like that all the time. Like that wow. is a conscious choice he's making to sound like shit, and I don't get it. I think he's trying to invoke an older country voice, which he doesn't need to, and it, it doesn't work. Uh, so, and I, I think, I think it works overall on the song Casino Queen. That's my favorite song on the album. Wow, really? Yeah, I like Casino Queen. That's it's, one of the ones I put in my notes as, like, there's no reason for this song to exist. It's just a hokey country song. It's fine. It's blues rock, and I never understand why anyone would record generic blues rock. It, like, if, if, of any genre, that there is nothing left to ring out of it. <laughs> and... Literally millions of people would fight you on that. I know, I know. And I feel the same way about, like, old school traditional punk. Like, maybe the only genre with less left to say than than blues rock is, is like, old school punk rock. Yeah, punk is an ethos, not a sound. Turns out punk is dead. Oh, yeah, punk is very dead. (laughs) Uh, Q, our hate mail. Uh, But yeah, (laughs) Casino Queen also reminds me a lot of the more recent Dandy Warhol song, uh, Motor City Steel, which I've mentioned before on this podcast, which I feel might have been inspired by Casino Queen because it just feels very similar. There's some Dandy Warhol's ass shit on this album, like some Mm -hmm. not whole songs, but just occasionally there'll be a guitar lick that I'm just like, damn, that was the Dandy Warhols. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and Dandy Warhols have always kind of flirted with the... Not not wholesale mimicry of bands they were, you know, in circles with, but it very much, their there sounds eclectic, and I think that just sort of, this sh- kind of shares. Wilco was kind of a thing, and everyone heard Wilco if they were moving in these circles, and Danny Warhol definitely would have heard Wilco, which is why I think Motor City Steel was almost certainly their Casino Queen song, because it is very similarly written. They don't sound exactly the same, but it, it is... The only thing that's different is the the singer of Danny Warhol's voice is much deeper, and he is... And better. <laughs> yes, and he's hamming it up a little bit in that song. 
He gets to see maligned tiny pants that came from But France. also, like, sometimes trying is better than just doing what comes naturally. Oh. <laughs> like, J- Jeff Tweedy very much sounds, uh, when he's singing well, he sounds like he's just singing. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the shit voice is him putting, trying to put something on. I don't, I don't know what it is, but, like, the Dandy Warhols guy is always, like, trying. I mean trying to sound like Lou Reed, but yeah. you know, he's trying something all the time. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he's definitely more successful with it. And I, I think, and I think Jeff Tweedy's singing gets much better as Wilco progresses because he finds more of his sound. And I think they found that their sound was not all country. They still classify a lot of the time, but it's, they, they move very firmly away from it compared to what this album sounds like. And so when we were listening to this, uh, it's it's usually this like mishmash of alt country and slipping into rock, and then you get things like it's just that simple, and then the steel guitar comes out. You're like, what? That this was unnecessary. You don't need to have. Oh nope, that area there it is. It's a twangy, croony song with a steel guitar. Hey, steel guitar is never unnecessary. I see. I thought you would hate this song because I. <laughs> well, I I don't love the songs it's used in on this album, but I love steel guitar. And I think steel guitar, is, uh, steel guitar is very effective, but when this kind of country rushes up against that old style kind of country where it would just be like a man singing a semi-sad song to a steel guitar. Right, and that's what I don't like. Like I, I like steel guitar in upbeat songs. Mm-hmm. Um, I like when you're shredding on the steel guitar, not when you're like droning on it. Yeah, no, but that's... It lends itself to making really cool sounds if you shred it, but... The twang, 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 twang. Yeah. Twang, twang, twang. Like that is, I like some of those songs. Sometimes they're cleverly written. But when the song, when the lyrics don't carry the song, the, don't carry the whole song, like that just becomes cloying. And I think I'm going to go ahead and go on a limb here and say lyrically, this album is not very strong. It is not by a country standard. The lyrics are not very strong. That like no depression, like the song, no depression was not necessarily clever, but like that fucking stuck with you yeah i I think jay farrar was the better lyricist there and i think we talked about that when we when we ranked that album like he did do the the more like blue collar you know working in the factory songs as opposed to like the love songs which this album is kind of a lot of that (laughs) yeah the the song passenger side just makes me think of a it it made me think of One Headlight by the Wallflowers. It's not at all similar, but it was just very... This oddly unpleasant song involving a car. You know, like that's... <laughs> well, so our, our fight that we that we mentioned... Uh, yeah, right, Dash 7 started, fucking sucks. Dash 7 is, is good because it's a song about being on an airplane and those are always good. I, I can't think of any songs about being on an airplane that I don't like. I don't know what it is, but there's something something about a song about being on a plane and thinking about shit that I that just does it for me every time. And that song does it for me. <laughs> I just don't like the way that he's singing and I don't like the way that it sounds. I think I just don't like the song at all. But the, the- I, yeah, I don't I'm not a fan of the the vocal style on that one, which is like it's not the the shit voice, but it's it's something that it's not like the good voice either. No, it it's, is. It's in between the two. And yeah, I'm not a fan of that, but it's just something that song just has an atmosphere that it's like a slow kind of dreamy 
song about you know being on a plane that's about to land and, and it just hits hits for me in a way that th- that lyrical trick always does i'm glad it, i'm glad it did because i think that blue eyed soul sounds very similar but is more effective the obviously the subject matter is completely different but he's not doing that voice on blue eyed soul and i'm like okay this is much better i can listen to this song but yeah, it, it's overall, this is a weird sounding album. Like, it is definitely alt-country still, but it's clearly in pain. It's like, they sat down and was like, well, we're known for this. Should we keep doing this? And they agreed that they should when later Wilco proves that they definitely shouldn't have. And it, it's... I think they, need to get it, they needed to get it out of their system. I can definitely... This feels like a... An album that happens when a band breaks up and forms a new band, where half the ideas of the old band are still in the new band. And that's why I compared it to Baby Shambles and Dirty Pretty Things, because that Dirty Pretty Things album is better, because the guy in Dirty Pretty Things is a better lyricist, but... But And see, I like Baby Shambles better, because it sounds like shit, and it (laughs) sounds like a guy who's just fucking depressed in a room with with like a four-track... And it is like just letting everything out and some of it fails horribly and some of it's brilliant. Well, I love Pete Doherty. I still do. I, I, and when I say his lyrics aren't as strong, it's just he did writes different songs. But all of the clever songs from the Libertines, he didn't write. And it showed. Are you telling me Kilimanjaro isn't... Uh, he wrote Kilimanjaro. I know. Are you telling me that's not a clever song? It, I mean, it's all right. It's, it's all right. I'm joking. It's, it's kind of horrible. I mean, I love the shit out of that song, but it's... Lyrically, it's pretty groan-inducing. I love Narcissists. is one of my favorite Libertine songs. Like, I I think Dirty Pretty Things are, like, the professional, consistent version of the Libertines, but that's not what the Libertines were about. And I wish they hadn't broken up so quickly. That's a, that's a whole thing where we, we'll never get to talk about it, but I'm talking about it here. Yeah. Dirty Pretty Things should have lived. Yeah. I mean, they should have, but also it's just, I don't think they were ever going to be as exciting as watching Pete Doherty, like, sometimes succeed in a huge way and sometimes just fall flat on his ass. Yeah. And... They were safe, by comparison. So these bands, though, like Wilco and Sunvolt, like, I'd never listened to either of them before the show. I had probably heard a Wilco song. I'd probably heard a Sunvolt song because I think Sunvolt played here, mm-hmm. played at George's, they almost George's Majestic Lounge for you Fayetteville heads. <laughs> I think they played there somewhat regularly. Um, but like, I just, I, I had never heard either. Um, and like, so this has been, you know, Uncle, first Uncle Tupelo and now this has been like really my first actual exposure to, to Jeff Tweedy. Yeah. And like, I don't know. It's weird because I kind of feel like I like, like, I might think this album is better than you think it is. <laughs> I don't think it's a terrible album. I just think that it, it feels strained. Like, I was expecting this to go way above the Uncle Tupelo album, and you said you don't think it's as good. So that's yeah. going to be an interesting conversation. Um, I don't think, but it's, like, I don't I, think it's far below. <clears throat> yeah. It's, I mean, so I, I had a couple of things before we get to ranking it that I wanted to bring up. Um, for I mean, you didn't mention the opening track, I Must Be High, which I think is like really good. I, I do too. That's I a real it. cracker type of type of song, but like a lot hookier than cracker usually is. And also without cracker's personality, but because Dave Lowry is, you know, 
for better or worse, a real a real force of personality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? I think that's probably Jeff Tweedy's problem here is that he just doesn't have. He's letting the songs run him rather than running the songs. And so he's not putting much character into it. The one song that he does is Dash 7, and it doesn't work for me. Um, So I think the place where it's maybe... Not necessarily at its best, because I think that, like... I think I Must Be High and Box Full of Letters are both, like, really high-quality songs. Mm -hmm. And, like, as much as I don't like it, Casino Queen is... Like, they nail that. That, <laughs> they, yeah, that song is well done. They absolutely nailed what they were going for. I just think what they were going for is, like, some of the most boring music out there. But, I mean, they fucking hit, hit hard on it. I mean, like, some of the lyrics, you know, like, about talking about the the gambling table, and they, they describe it as, like, her green pastures. That just felt like some real Aerosmith, some real Aerosmith shit <laughs> to <Yeah>. me. Um, <laughs> uh... Or maybe the Black Crows, if you want the, you know, the version of Aerosmith that doesn't suck. I'm just, I'm just bringing the hate mail tonight. Um, I mean, I, I don't think our audience is that be- a is that a controversial opinion that the Black Crows are better than Aerosmith? I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't know anyone who likes any Aerosmith songs other than uh, Dream On and and Sweet Emotion. Well, I know one oh, person who walked this way. If she listened to this podcast, which I know she doesn't. Uh, she would probably want to fight you because she wants to fuck Steven Tyler really bad. Which is insane. Uh, but outside, and I'm so sorry if you hear this, Sonny, it's true, we all know it. Because <laughs> uh, you've said it repeatedly and you text him on his birthday. Uh, anyway. Uh... Oh, but okay, so... <clears throat> the, the other thing I wanted to say is, um, well, okay, so we didn't talk about that's not the issue, which is like a the closest thing you get to like a stomp and hoedown on, on this album. Yeah. And that's like a little bit of an issue. Like they, they can't really stomp like the, the song's a hoedown, but like it needs to be, they need to hillbilly it up more. Like it's too restrained, but I do like the sort of Spanish guitar thing um, that he does where he's playing a, a C slash G chord, which is a C chord with a G root. And then he does like a kind of Spanish guitar, like da 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 thing where he slides up a half step and then back down into the original chord. And it's really tense sounding. And like, I, like he says, that's not the issue. And then plays that, that chord. And it m- makes me want to know what the issue is. And I felt like that was a real failure of the lyrics that <laughs> that he didn't say, didn't end the song by telling me what the issue actually is. Because play, playing a chord that tense while saying that's not the issue is really setting me up for something that the song doesn't deliver. And I still like that song, but it, it, the lyrics needed to be better. Yeah, and, and so All Country, Country Now delivers a little bit more than this. Because the problem with pop country is that it doesn't have a soul. It's about your truck, your hot blonde wife, you know, drinking ice cold beers on a long, a long hot night, you know, like that kind of shit. Uh, shout out to good cop, rad cop. But yeah, this is this isn't there because the the antithesis to that kind of country would be to you know let's slap. Let's make this bounce. Let's do something fun. Let's do something rowdy. 
and this this that's not there's a, no rowdiness on this album no. and it, it's sorely missing it and i think that's what sunvolt got probably that mm-hmm. out of uncle tupelo that this that wilco didn't get and i think that was probably the the break on how they were performing music because there is a place for country that sounds like this but with the kind of t- themes they were trying to run with they need to have a slapper and they don't have it and uh, sunvolt did they did <laughs> and i, I I like their album more than this one. I don't think Book was a bad band and I don't hate this album. I just think it showing that splinter and it's showing what was perhaps the weakest elements of Uncle Tupelo. Yeah. Okay. So the last thing I want to say about this before, um, before we rank it, cause I think we're probably, probably done, but, uh, should have been in love. I think I thought was an accidentally interesting song. Mm-hmm. Um, like I like that song, but it's just kind of a pretty airy, acoustic song but the there's a weird undercurrent of of and i probably if if the show has like tropes one of them is probably that i bring up midwest emo like on the reg but there is a real undercurrent of midwest emo in that song that that it took a few listens before it hit me well i mean they're from chicago so like that's they're gonna have they're from yeah they're from the midwest so it, it it was surprising to me to like pick it out though like it maybe it's just in the water there or whatever and i can't really say i I can't verbalize what it is that gave me that feeling about that song but there's something there and dash seven has it too and and i think it's because it it, and those are the songs i feel are kind of almost not enough of a country no they're very not country songs but that's, that's, that's a real problem with some alt country is that they were bands that just didn't want to be emo bands but they didn't want to be rock bands so they had to find something in between, and they're like, "Well, I could do chords, and then I, I could pick some, and then you get, then you get all the country." Yeah, and, and I think that Wilco does have pretensions of being like a rock and roll band because the last song on the album, he's singing about rock and roll. At which point, it was like you 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 let the album go one song too long. When, yeah. when you're singing about rock and roll, you have nothing, whatever to say. And that's why so. I was saying that this was going to slip into, this already has the home, the, the sound that they are going to move into. And that's okay. They just found their voice and they had to find their voice much like after this album, which is good. It's, this is just an album that's in contention, you know? Yeah. And I like it. I mean, I, I enjoyed this more than I enjoyed that uncle Tupelo album, even though I think the lyrics on, on no depression are better and that for for me that that's what makes a country song is that the lyrics do have to actually function yeah i mean for me yeah absolutely like because i don't love a lot of the the slow parts of the genre like if you don't have those lyrics if your lyrics are just milk toast love songs then yeah i'm yeah, gonna like be one of the so songs, fucking bored it's like so the song i'm so lonesome i could cry is a relatively slow song but and i've mentioned this before but like hear that lonesome whippoorwill he sounds too blue to fly the midnight train is whining low and i'm so lonesome i could cry like that puts you in a mood yeah that is that is a country song that like just takes your heart and rips it out and you're just like thanks thanks hank williams i didn't need that and apparently neither did you so (laughs) but it's uh yeah i mean cowboy poetry is like real heavy hitting stuff when it works and that's the kind of stuff that all country was trying to get back to, and I just don't think Jeff Tweedy could do it. And that's okay. His, I think later Wilco is much better. Uh, 
but it, it, it's, it's so surprising to me that how important that Uncle Tupelo album is. Like, it is the defining early alt-country album when people were like, this pop country sucks, we need sad and drunk cowboys, and it doesn't, we don't really care if they're from the South at this point, we just need sad and drunk cowboys. And they delivered. Then they broke up. And then one of the bands that came out of it continued some of that. Because even sad cowboys like to dance. <laughs> All right. Well, we have no depression at number 40 right now, which I didn't realize it had slipped that low. But mm-hmm. um, So you think this is worse than that? I think it's probably about a 43. I don't think it's that much worse. Yeah. Um, I'm fine with it going above Fox Space Alpha. I'm trying to think if I think it's better than Cobra and Phase's group. Um, I mean, that's like a real apples and oranges <laughs> comparison. Um, just the, I mean, this is a totally a singer songwriter album at its core and mm-hmm. Cobra and Phase's group is a, a experimental musicianship album. Um, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm good with 43. Um, cause I do think it should be above Fox Space Alpha at least. Yeah. So I, 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 it's probably like a tie for me with Cobra and Phases Group, so I'm fine with it going below. See, like, and once you think about it, like, it wasn't that much worse than Uncle Tupelo, and Uncle Tupelo, that album's not bad at all. No, but I was ready to put this, like, at 24. That's crazy. That was my ceiling for it, where I would stop, you know. See, I think, I think that should Actually, be- well, yeah, looking at that now, I shouldn't put it above Tragic Kingdom. Um, I just looked at the Laws, because I think that Laws album is, like, way too high on the list. I don't think so. it is, and it's the only, t- it's the only one of their albums we're going to we're gonna rank because That's they their only, only have, album exactly like <laughs> it, it's fine it's a it's a nice thing that stands out and when it comes to music from this period that i want to listen to that laws album comes up more and more and more than this Wilco album ever will you know like it, it's that yeah. is indicative of a time where this Wilco album was like oh yeah that was a rough year that was a rough patch and it's but again it's not a bad album being in the 40s is great and i mean especially as we add more albums like, i personally think that uncle tupelo album should be higher but we can't fix that now. Uh, <laughs> no, so. I, I kind of, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. It, it's, I didn't realize it had dropped that far down. Mm-hmm. But, but, but okay. also when I look at what's above it, like I think most of it should be above it. So I think we're just getting to that point now where like we're going to have to accept that like the 40s are, are pretty good. And that's, and that's why it's in the 40s. It's when I was thinking about the 40s, we have all these albums. That is, that's middle of the pack right now. It is completely fine. And this is a decent album. If you, if you like early alt country stuff please listen to it and if you want to hear early wilco you'll be surprised but it's still wilco and it's yeah it just it is just an album that sounds like a band just broke up and it came out very quickly after they broke up so yeah and and so let the record show you picked an album that i thought should go higher than you thought it should go <laughs> and, and that's that's fair i just i'm just very surprised i mean what? i get it but like it's just not it's i just don't think it's as good as it could have been okay so we're putting it at 43 is that mm-hmm. what we agreed on all right so we'll get that on the list and come back to talk about ride We are back 
And it's time for our second album of this week, which is Nowhere by by Ride from 1990. This is their debut full-length album. They had recorded uh, three EPs prior to releasing this, which which ended up on the version of the album that we put on the playlist, or at least some, <laughs> some of the songs from them did. Um, so yeah, first thing to say, and I didn't realize this or I would have pointed it out, um, the the original release of this album is only eight tracks and ended at Vapor Trail. That's a much better album. And everything after, well, is it? Oh, okay, it's much. <laughs> it's it's much less of a commitment. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, think I think some of is... the the we'll get to it, but I think this is a very backloaded album. It, it <laughs> like is. We talked about front-loaded albums, but man, this one. This one starts off pretty boring, and then yeah, Seagull Kaleidoscope in in a different place. That shit all sounds the same. I, I like Kaleidoscope. I, I like Seagull and Kaleidoscope. I, then it yeah, gets I'm glad you like that one song. Very slow and very tedious. That that like so, almost eleven minute song that is uh, two songs. Okay, so I have to get this out because we're just jumping right into like ragging on this album. And this is like a beloved, <laughs> beloved shoegaze classic, you know, which I've made made some point of shoegaze and dream pop being my favorite genre of music. So it's a little weird for me to start right off bashing this, especially, I mean, like it's fucking beloved. And I was shocked to find out that it's fucking beloved. Like, yeah, obviously, I knew Vapor Trail was a big deal in shoegaze circles. But man, it's the last song after a bunch of stuff that's not anywhere near as good as Vapor Trail. <laughs> Fuck no. It's like, I... The first note I wrote down, and I'm sorry, anyone who loves this album, is like, man, this all is one is all one song. Sometimes the tempo changes, as you are wont to do in a very long song. Like, it's... <sighs> okay, so... So, let me, let me defend the reaction to this album in its time in its time this was still extremely derivative but it was kind of the first time someone had gone out and done a full record of it aside from the jesus and mary chain mm -hmm. um i mean my bloody valentine had mostly put out singles and eps up to this point it like throughout the 80s which makes sense with the way that they made their music. It was like, this is a set piece. And then that was what My Bloody Valentine sounded like. And Jesus and Mary Chain made songs, but it had just a, a vibe to it. Right. So, and also, like, if you think about what else was going on in England in 1990, it's Baggy Beat and Madchester. And this is very different from that. Yeah. So I can see, again, if... You're being fed a steady diet of Happy Mondays and Soup Dragons, and then you get this incredibly noisy, um, but still melodic record. How you're going to be like, oh, this is like, this is really different. This is really something new, even though it's extremely not something new, even in its time, and not just because of you know the Jesus and Mary chain. I mean, this is just a straight up ripoff of my bloody Valentine's singles, like sunny Sunday smile and, and um, strawberry wine. Oh yeah. I get that. Totally. Like when my bloody Valentine was like 12 string guitar jangle pop, like it was just this. And so like for this to come along and be hailed as this like massive achievement is 
baffling. And like when it doesn't sound just like My Bloody Valentine or Jesus and Mary Chain or The Stone Roses, it sounds just like McCarthy or The Wedding Present mm. with its jingliness, but just with, you know, heavy fuzz layered over it. Yeah, just very fuzzy, kind of almost muddy fuzz. And so like all that said, like, I think this is a really good album because it's my favorite genre and like I'm predisposed to liking <laughs> what they're doing way more than I like a lot of other kinds of music. So I don't think it's bad. I know I said it's all one song and I don't think that's bad because if you're wanting to live it. So I'm not a connoisseur of shoegaze. Not in the way that Natalie is. However, I do like to just be getting a vibe with music, with music and shoegaze is one of the fastest ways to just get in a feeling because you, you pick that noisy, just ooh-ah music, and then you've got focus, or you've got intense sadness, or you've got a little bit of spiciness when it comes to the Cocteau Twins. And, like, and it's nice. It's like, I think even though I'm not partic- I don't particularly want to go to this album, if I wanted to listen to an album that just was a nice accompaniment to a day, that's great. And I think, and I'm wondering if that's why people like it so much, is because in that context of just, this is a shoegaze experience, it does function. Yeah, so my issue with it as, as an album to listen to in 2021 is that it's so, so 80s jingle pop, especially C86. Um, and if you don't know what C86 is, um, it, it was a cassette that, uh, was it NME put out? I think it was NME. It, it was a, it was a cassette that was released with a British music magazine. That probably would have been it. And it had, it, it was, the name of the cassette was C86 and the bands on it were like Primal Scream and The Wedding Present and, uh, close lobsters and half man half biscuit and it just like all this like weird jingle pop of you know the mid 80s in england like the stuff that was too weird to compete with the smiths basically yeah <laughs> like the smiths were the mainstream jingle pop and all those other bands were the like the jingle pop that was a little too weird to be on top of the pops uh, except for the wedding present who were pretty normal but they were you know Wedding Present is by far the best band on C86, <laughs> um, in my opinion. But anyway, uh, so, like, that was an extremely influential, like, mixtape, basically, that inspired Shoegaze, that inspired the, you know, the rest of the 80s, a million bands in England that came and went, sounded just like it. I mean, obviously, like, the early James stuff, it was in that, in that, uh, region and then like twee pop which we haven't really talked about yet but like bands like Tallulah Gosh were yep. like inspired by it looking forward so, to that C86 a thing to learn about if you don't already know um, because I will mention it constantly when we talk about <laughs> British bands from the early 90s um, <laughs> like this one but so yeah I mean this was just like this was just the equivalent of putting out an emo record in like 2001 i guess like it was fairly early but had a really extensive base of like 
influences already. Oh, yeah, yeah. People latch on to the thing that they hear first. And if enough people hear that one thing first, it's like, this is the pinnacle. Right. And people heard this first for two reasons. One, so this is the first, I I I believe this is the first album on Creation Records that we've done on the show so far. Um, I know Momus was no longer on Creation by the time Philosophy of Momus came out. So I can't think of anything else we've done that, that would have been. Um, and Creation, despite also being the home of My Bloody Valentine, got way behind Ride. Like there's a, I don't know if it's a famous quote, but a quote that really like bowled me over. <laughs> um, the, the the head of Creation Records said in an interview I saw once that he basically was like, yeah, I signed My Bloody Valentine as a joke and Ride was the, the real, the, the, they were the real geniuses. What a fuck. And it was like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so they were heavily behind Ride and this album, and the British music press was very heavily behind Ride and this album in a way that they weren't like British. The British press kind of made fun of shoegaze a lot while also coining the term. But Ride was like the band they picked out to like coronate from the shoegaze scene. I think it's the most accessible. Like, I, it's, it's, like, I just think that with that push by creation and the fact that it's just fine, like it's not bad in any way, but it just isn't as, you know, it doesn't push boundaries. It doesn't push tone the way that like my bloody Valentine would do. Like you go to a my bloody Valentine concert and you're going to hurt for one reason or another. And it's, it's not necessarily just the end where it just devolves into noise, but like during the show, they play with the depth of, of the, the music that this album does not have. There is no tonal depth. That fuzz distorts everything in a very bland, muddy way. Well, and it's also because, like British jangle pop, and 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 I will say this about, um, you know, like "Sunny Sunday Smile" and "Paint a Rainbow" by my my bloody Valentine. Like, I love both of those songs. They're some of my favorite songs of all time, but they hurt the shit out of my ears. Mm-hmm. Because, not even because of the noise, but it's a combination of the noise and how fucking treble boosted Mm. British indie rock was in the 80s. And this carries that over. This is an incredibly squally, trebly album. Yeah, and, uh, God, my brain just stopped. Oh, so there's a lot of kinks. There's a weird, like, in the first two songs, there's this weird, like, kink psychedelia that is coming through. And I'm just like... This is a weird place for that to be. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's not... I don't think it is, because Shoegaze is directly descended from psychedelic music. Um, but I don't but, I don't, I don't. think of the, the kink psychedelia as, like, the stuff I like the most. And so it was just very odd for, like, what I argue... What I argue is, like, the worst part of the kinks to that then be directly influenced... Like, referenced in that in Seagull, for instance... I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, see, I, th- I think Seagull is way more Velvet Underground because that's like the other major, like, historical dis- uh, um, predecessor to Shoegaze is, is like how the Velvet Underground kind of experimented with fuzz and noise in, in ways that hadn't really been done a lot before. Oh, but I like the Velvet Underground so much more. Yeah, I, I don't because... 
I, I mean, Velvet Underground just never had a singer whose voice I was all that into. Like, I, I straight up don't like Nico and, and Lou Reed. I can take her leave, so. I mean, there's many reasons you shouldn't like Nico. And in fact, her death perhaps was fortuitous. <laughs> Anyone from the Neo Decadent group that uh, listens to this podcast is now chuckling. <laughs> yeah, I don't know much about Nico except that I just, her voice was too emotionless for me, but. Well, I'll tell you after the show. Okay. Um, so yeah, like, so despite starting off shitting on this, like, I liked this album. I think that it's wildly overrated. And I, there was some Twitter discourse today about how overrated is like a stupid, useless criticism. But literally, I mean, people gave this album five stars and it should have been three. And... In it, again, in its day, I think I can I think you can justify that more. But people who still talk about this album now as if it's this massive, like just brilliant must hear album, like literally one of the accolades is like someone put it on like the like hundred albums you have to listen to before you die or something. And I was like, no, it, it's like, I mean, even Ride, like going blank again is a way better album than this. Um, and, and I, I have no idea how controversial that statement is, but like, I, I didn't think it was controversial at all. Like I thought going blank again was everyone's favorite ride album until I started reading about this record for, for this episode and finding out that people think it's like one of the best shoe days albums. That, and, that's a, and that's a bad, mix. this is not in my top 10 best shoe days albums, even if you don't consider current shoe days, <laughs> like, like I won't, I won't even talk about for Tracy Hyde and make them compete against that band. But like, <laughs> yeah, even even limiting it to the early '90s, this is not in my top ten. I would take virtually any Jesus and Mary Chain song over this entire album. Okay, see, that's that's where we differ because I, that's my shoegaze heresy is I don't like Jesus and Mary Chain all that much, and I think I like them because they're not as shoegaze as everybody else. Yeah, like that's what I don't like about them is they are weird like this in between it, it's it's a little bit more goth tilted in a weird it's way. a little bit more goth it's i was gonna say it's like closer to the cramps but with like squalling feedback all the time i don't know like cramps are a little more fun like jesus well, and yeah. aren't humorous no but but yeah i, I just find most of jesus and mary chain stuff look really boring honestly like dark lands is a great album but like Psycho Candy is, is I think, kind of okay. <laughs> like, it's cool that they just had feedback constantly, and that inspired some really great bands that I like way more than Jesus and Mary Jane. But, yeah, I'm, that's that's my Shoe Days heresy. I definitely like Ride more than Jesus and Mary Jane. That's okay. I mean, I don't... And I think history has judged that differently, at least. And I... Like, I like My Bloody Valentine and Jesus and Mary Jane and... The Cocker Twins. I'm not in it for the long haul on you guys. Yeah, not not like me. Yeah, so Vapor Trail is obviously like the big single, and it's it's less jangly. Like it's still jangle pop, but it's it sounds more like the future of shoegaze than than anything else on the album. No, yeah, I, I think so. That and that and decay are definitely my two favorite songs on the of the original track. You yeah, mentioned taste and my taste favorite song is awesome. on the album is not on the album, so <laughs> yeah, 
Well, ta- I mean, taste is, is fucking great. It's probably my second favorite after Vapor Trail, but if we only talked about the, the original eight songs, then... Vapor Trail is good. I just... If I didn't see anything after Vapor Trail, that would be the song. But yeah. because Taste is right there, I'm like, yeah, Taste is really good. <laughs> I think that Decay is really good because it has like a darkness that most of the album doesn't have. Mm. Um, because like most of the album is either just pure 60s jingle pop with fuzz pedals like, like Kaleidoscope, or it's the sort of long drones like polar bear and there's n- like so it it's cool that you have at least this one song that i mean decay almost sounds like early rem and early cure like with how minor key it is mm-hmm. and then so yeah that and vapor trail are the two that just really like hit for me of the of the main tracks um like I think Seagull is good, and I, I think Kaleidoscope is is really good, but it is badly produced. Like it's just so treble heavy. Yeah, that's why I think that's why I think the, I thought it was so kinksy because the kinks were like intensely tr- like treble forward. So and partially what might have happened with that is that the producer of the album had a mental breakdown while producing it. Oh, and uh, his name was Mark Waterman, and he had to drop out, and Alan Mulder had to come in and like finish it up at the end. Uh, so I don't know what songs, you know, like I'm not saying that I think the songs were recorded in order, but I do think the Vapor Trail sounds a fucking hell of a lot better than Kaleidoscope. <laughs> so I don't know if if that had anything to do with a change of producers because it kind of sounds like alan Mulder mostly just did the like final mix as opposed to like producing but who knows but yeah overall i don't dislike this album i don't think it's worth as much praise as it got um it's, it's definitely not bad but like other shoegazes available yeah i i just don't uh yeah i don't see this as an essential album for anyone except for like people who want to get deep into shoe days yeah listen to this but like if you just want to get an overview like i would definitely recommend going blank again over this Mm. so i don't know so i think we're probably going to have a little bit of a fight on our hands though because i am predisposed to like rank this higher because it's shoe days um i mean i don't think it's bad and i don't think it's like in the top 20 for sure I, i don't think it's in the top 30 are you gonna tell me you're gonna put it at 43 no um i was gonna put it i'm torn because i think i think where i would probably put it is 38 but i don't love having having it right beside leisure which is like a kind of a similar album mm-hmm. i so like i liked this more than smoke them if you got them but i wouldn't be super depressed if this went at 39 and if you think it's worse than that then i mean i know I, you do but like no i mean no you know look look let me let me be fair here that Revan horton heat album is better it is just whole ass a more listenable experience so you can put it right under that that's fine uh, I just I, I think that it, it's it's that Reverend Horton Heat is more you know it's a completely different kind of music but I think that he is that is more uniquely their sound 
than this album that is very clearly trying to fit into a genre that hasn't quite made their own impact on it yet. So, yeah, I think 39 is fine. Okay, yeah, I don't think that's... I mean, I, apparently that's, like, horrible and we should put this in, like, the top 15 or something. No, fuck that. But this album does not rank the top 15. I know, I don't... I, I think this is a good place for it. If you've so. only heard 50 fucking albums, you're like, yeah, it's top 15. <laughs> but, like, don't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, so funny thing about... um ride because like all bands coronated by the british press they broke up in a huge you know huge screaming fights um it, one of their next to last album the two songwriters andy bell and and mark gardner um refused to have their songs on the same side of the album oh my so God. literally side a is mark gardner's songs and side b is andy bell's songs Fuck, just get a room at that point. Fuck off. And fittingly, Andy Bell would go on to uh, join Oasis. Yeah. After, not not in their early days, but like later Oasis when they were, when the Gallaghers were on the verge of like not being able to be on the same stage with each other <laughs> because they would get into fist fights. That, that was the point when Andy Bell came in. And I have to look this up. I want to get it right. The, a band that, that you that you know well and not a lot of other people do. Yeah, Andy Bell joined Oasis, but then had the... He chose to join Oasis over the other band he had the possibility to join, which was Gay Dad. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Just, okay. Just So I know you think he made the wrong decision, but... <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe he made the right decision because I don't like Oasis very much, so... <laughs> So you think you should have joined Oasis then? Yeah. Even though you liked them less? Yep. Okay. Well, I don't get that. But anyway, we're going to put Nowhere at 39, which puts it between Smoke from a Few Got em and When in Venitas by Breeze Glass. Now I completely forgot we covered. What? Breeze Glass. I completely forget, fucking forgot we did that album. Oh. because it was exactly 20 episodes ago. <laughs> yeah. All right, and even though neither of this week's albums landed in the top 10, um, I will go ahead and read that out anyway. At number 10, we have Operation Doomsday by MF Doom. At number 9, Slanted and Enchanted by Pavement. At number 8, Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. At number 7, Spooky by Lush. Number 6 is Vary by the Pet Shop Boys. Number five is The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. Number four is 69 Love Songs by The Magnetic Fields. Number three, Liberation by The Divine Comedy. Number two, Get Lost by The Magnetic Fields. And number one is Nonsuch by XTC. If you want to see our complete rankings, you can go to bit.ly slash nr1990s. That's bit.ly slash nr1990s. And if you want to listen to every episode of the podcast and every album we have ever ranked, then you can go on Spotify and search for in our 1990s. You'll find all our shows and both of our playlists. The first first seven or eight months playlist and then the, the 2021 playlist. <laughs> all right. And so because next episode is episode 40, that means it's time for our second obligation special 
Um, every 20 episodes, we do four albums and talk a lot less about them because they're albums we have a lot less to say about. That doesn't necessarily mean we're bad. I personally love one of the two albums I'm picking for next week, but um, it often means they're bad. <laughs> well, the, the albums I'm picking aren't bad. They're no, just... no. I both I listened to a little of both of those albums today, and I I like or am intrigued by both of them <laughs> i picked one album i really like and one album but it's in, it's instrumental so i don't have much to say about it and one album i think is terrible so that's fair um so what are you what are you bringing there sweet adrian um i'm doing uh leo tre by mylene farmer which very it's actually a very good album i feel uh i just don't know how much we can say about her uh, but we'll figure it out. The next one is one that one that I'm gonna like a lot more than you. I think <laughs> I I really like everything about Diamanda Gales. I really do. Is that how you say it? I always thought it was like Diamanda Gales. I've never heard anyone say it out loud though. So I just I'm just going by the accent, and I'm probably wrong. I'll, I'll double check for next episode. Anyway, we're doing Plague Mass and. That is a whole ass experience. It, yeah, it is an experience. <laughs> but I felt we couldn't quite carry a full half of an episode on that experience. Yeah, I don't know. It's. Uh, I mean, fuck, it's really it's, interesting from what I listened to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she's very interesting. Yeah. No, I knew she was, but I'd never heard this before. Oh yeah, this is this is a. Not a complete break from everything she does, but it stands alone in being the thing that Satanists will play at a party to piss somebody off. Don't give a Satanist, who is also a music nerd, your access to your playlist, because you will get a Plague Mass song. <laughs> Alright, well, my two records for next week, the one that I like a lot, but is and it's basically an instrumental album so i won't have a ton to say about it is tourism by boards of canada which apparently is technically an ep but it is longer than nowhere which is an lp so well that uh short album about love technically listed as a divine comedy's fifth album like not an, not an ep it is their fifth album yeah well wikipedia calls tourism an ep which i i don't agree with but whatever um i mean I guess technically if it was recorded in EP mode, it's an EP. But anyway, I think Tuism is an album and I'm, we're going to rank it as such. That's fair. And the one that I think is fucking terrible is <laughs> debut album by Candlebox. 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 Pearl Jam. Well, not Pearl Jam 2. Pearl Jam 5 or 6. The, you yeah. know, when, the straight to DVD Pearl Jam. <laughs> Fun times up at the Pearl Jam factory. Oh man! That's where you get your candle boxes. It's so grunge decayed so much faster than I realized. Because that album came out in ninety by ninety three, there were already like the you know seventh generation clone of Pearl Jam that can't quite like do simple edition. Well, because it was a bunch of nihilist druggies who were just like, I don't really fucking like you now, so I'm not my own grunge band. Okay, <laughs> Listen to you all. talking about nihilist druggies. Next year you're going to be telling me to, to embrace tradition and reject modernity. I would never say that. <laughs> you would never tell me that in those words. <laughs> no, and I'm, and when I, when I, obviously when I'm condescending about druggies, I'm not, you know, smirching anyone. It's just sometimes a certain kind of heroin laced mentality is just 
not going to make great music, and that is why grunge descended so poorly. All right, well, so be sure to be back next week for those four albums, which is really quite a quite a combination of of stuff. And all the hate mail we're gonna get because we both were problematic fucks on this out al- on this podcast. <laughs> yeah um all right so this was a fun episode and i think next week will be a fun episode so see you then